Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast and a special episode recorded live on the final day of EG's epic content-packed show at MIPIM 2023. In this recording, you'll hear me, EG Editor Sam McClary, in conversation with Elizabeth Campbell, Executive Member of London Councils, and Jack Pringle, REBA Chair of Trustees, about the UK's wonderful capital city, London. Listen in as we talk about how important it is that London retains its resilience and that it features in levelling up discussions as much as the rest of the country. Here Jack and Elizabeth extol the virtues of a city that has reinvented itself numerous times, and hear their heartfelt wishes for investment to continue to flow into the capital, so it can be a catalyst for growth across the rest of the UK. Enjoy. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name's Sam McClare. I'm the editor of EG, and welcome to our final session of the day. We saved the best for last, clearly. Um, so we're just going to have a, 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 a relaxed half-an-hour chat about... We've talked about lots of cities over the last few days um, here in the EG Pavilion, and, and right now we're going home to London, uh, and we're going to talk about um, sort of economic recovery in, in London and um, what we need to do, I suppose, to to make sure that we continue to invest and, and help London grow and be br- the brilliant city that it is. And um, many of the conversations that we've had over the last few days, um, I've been told off if I try and compare London versus. It's not about London versus, it's about London and and the, the incubator that London can be for the for the rest of our cities uh, around, the, around the UK. Um, but I should shut up and uh, allow our, uh, our two guests to, to introduce themselves. And, uh, and as, you, as you do that, just give us a, a little bit about what London means to you, I su- suppose, to set the, set the scene. So, Elizabeth, um, please do um, tell our audience all about yourself. Okay. So, um, I'm the leader of Kensington and Chelsea Council, and I'm also um, the executive member of London Council's for Opportunity London and for our economy and culture and business. And I'd say I represent lots of Londoners because (laughs) I wasn't born in the UK. I came here when I was 25. Um, My uh, company hadn't wanted me to open an office here. So like many Londoners, I've come came to make my fortune. (laughs) Were they they paved with gold? Uh, You know, that is uh, one of those myths. (laughs) And that's what we're always trying to dispel the myths that the government has about us, that we're all, you know, we have golden streets. Because we have eight out of the ten most deprived areas in London. So when you talk about levelling up, we always want to say, well, we need levelling up too within London. Absolutely. Thank you. Jack? Uh, Well, thank you. Uh, I'm Jack Pringle. I'm currently chair of the RIBA board, the Institute of Architects, and uh, 15 years ago I was also president, so I've uh, had a lot of involvement with that. Uh, I was born in Glasgow, educated in the Midlands, went to Bristol University uh, uh, for the architecture course and thought that London was the only game around, basically. If you wanted to be where it was at, you needed to come to London, which which may be unfortunate, but but I think it was true and and, uh, to a certain extent uh, still is true. So I came up to London and uh, my parents told me it was going to be a horrible, lonely, cold place. Uh, and I had an absolute ball and made lots of friends. And this was a time when the IRA was bombing London, and there wasn't many. There weren't many decent restaurants here. It was, and I still loved it. And it's only got better, decade by decade after that. 
And I started a practice, built it up, and uh, uh, sold it to one of the biggest architects in the world, uh, well Perkins and Will, which I, I ran in Europe and the Middle East for a while, and then resigned, and nearly two years ago, started a new studio with my two eldest daughters. Uh, so it's a family business, which is quite unusual. Uh, so I'm the oldest startup in town. I like it, and daughters rather than and sons, which yeah. uh, you get a, a gold star from me. They for order that. me around mercilessly. <laughs> There's no filter. <laughs> um, I would love to be a fly on the wall. Uh, let, let's go back to Elizabeth. Your point, actually, and you know, I was um, being facetious talking about uh, you know streets paved with gold, but actually, you're absolutely right that London is a is a place of deprivation as well, and we can't we can't ignore it in those levelling up conversations. And and there's you know there is real investment that needs to come into London, isn't isn't there? Yeah. And, you know, we're really pleased that, you know, the, the Chancellor announced yesterday that there was uh, lots of money in investment zones around the country. I mean, that, that's great. And great, good on Manchester, West Midlands, etc. But, you know, we need investment too. Um, and that's part of the reason that actually I'm here at MIPIM this time with Opportunity London, because I think what we've realised is that whatever the flavour of government, there's probably not going to be much money coming to London authorities. So we've all got to get together. Um, and we've said that actually cross-party, we need to look for public-private partnerships. Um, so I was interested listening to your, your last the interviewee when he was saying public-public partnerships. I'd say absolutely across London. We're very, as, as a group of leaders, 32 boroughs, we're incredibly pragmatic, uh, practical politicians who want the best for their residents. Mm. And the best means opportunities, it means jobs, it means infrastructure, and we are looking for partners to help us because we don't think the government probably will be doing so for some time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to help yourselves. You have you? to help ourselves, actually. And that's fine, right? We're Londoners, that's what we're used to. You know, we'll get that. Yeah, yeah. And what are, what are some of those um, opportunities that we can talk to the private sector about to you know make them not disregard London? I suppose and think oh, it's all, it's all right, Jack. Well, I think there is a, a great scope for a public uh, private partnership, not necessarily on project by project basis, but, but releasing opportunities. Um, sort of looking back over you know the last few decades, there's two examples spring to mind for me. One is Manchester. Uh, you know, after that IRA bomb there, uh, Manchester really changed gears and you could see how the local authority, the city, really joined with developers, not to provide money, but to open opportunities, to, to get roadblocks out of the way, you know, get the logs out from in front of the train, and how Manchester flourished. The other one that uh, is actually in London, which of course was the shock of Canary Wharf, mm. uh, you know, and the city almost overnight, decided that it had to become, you know, much more business-friendly. And nobody would think that now because the city has, over the last few decades, had a tremendous record of, of working with uh, various communities, uh, first of all the finance communities, but then others, to, to open the way. So I, I think that's what I see in the relationship between uh, the state, whether it's you know, central or local, mm. uh, and, and the private sector, which is 
you know, to, to, to help identify the opportunities and to clear the way. And, and actually, if you think about Crossrail in London, you know, that's a £19 billion project. Elizabeth Line just opened. That was local government, national government, TfL, and businesses. Businesses, uh, you know, were about 40%, um, which they did with a, uh, an additional business rate. So that's fantastic, and that's unlocked lots of things. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for infrastructure which will unlock housing. So, for example, the leader of Greenwich is here because if he could get um, an extension on the Docklands Light Railway, then he could build 20,000 homes. That's a lot of homes. Mm. And we've got maps of projects right across London. Again, your last speaker said, well, you know, you need to come up with investable propositions. As London councils... We've got a, a map of maps of about 160 propositions that, that we'd like to see um, private investment into. So we're, we are at that point where we're ready to go and we're united and we're out looking for partnerships. And is, that's where this is a great platform, isn't Fantastic. it? To, to be able to show, showcase those. And, and you talked about um, at the beginning, you know, probably not going to get the help that we really need from, from government having to do it our, ourselves. What are some of the the tools that I guess everyone in this room, everyone here at MIPIM, everyone back at home um, can offer up, I suppose, to help you get those messages out. We've got these maps. Come and have a look. You know, Come and see what you can do to, to help us unlock um, the greatness that there can be in London. Yeah, I think, again, that's why we're here. It's about the promotion, isn't it? I mean, we've got, um, you know, we've got the London stand, and, and then next door we've got Paris. And... I don't know about you, I mean, love Paris. I lived in Paris, two of my children were born in Paris. I'm not anti-French, love the French. But, you know, when you compare London to Paris, there is no comparison, right? There we are, we're a global city, we're the largest in Western Europe, we're the most diverse. And with that diversity comes huge advantages. Because you'll know this, in London, every time you're anywhere, everyone's come from all over the world. Everyone has these incredible heritages, and they're all there because they want to make the most of themselves and, and of London. Mm. And we have some innate advantages that everyone always... Well, we all know about, but we may as well say all over again, you know, uh, that uh, we're a good time zone, we can, time zone's great. The English language. So again, I'm in the Paris Pavilion. It's, it's fantastic for me, because I can understand everything that's going on. But actually, it's easier if you speak English, because it is the international language. Mm -hmm. You know, we're a tech city. Twenty, uh, we had twenty unicorns in 2020. That's incredible. Um, and you can see how the government really appreciates all the, uh, the the tech stuff because you know when the bank went bust, they stepped in immediately, uh, and that also showed the strength of financial regulation in in this city. So we have so many advantages, and we have all the stuff that you were talking about that. Kind of, it's fun, 200 museums, well, lots of art galleries. No, I think um, one of the things that, that struck me is there's a symbiotic relationship between the culture that is London. Exactly. You know, the, the restaurants, the theatres, yep. the opera, but also the schools, the university, etc. And, you know, you look at London and say, well, it's already been amazingly resilient. You know, after the 80s and Big Bang, it became a banking town with the, all the service industries, the banking, etc. 2007, the banks went in the sin bin, and then suddenly it became a TMT town. You've got people at Amazon coming in yep. and taking hundreds of thousands of square feet. And then suddenly King's Cross kicks off with using 
oh my God, a university of the arts as the anchor tenant. I mean, genius. And so that attracts cultural bodies and also attracts Google, taking a lot of... And then you get uh, the crick opening up uh, with, a, I don't know what that is, two billion pound investment. And suddenly London is a life sciences town and it, there's a halo of life sciences going around it and there's a supply chain of life sciences. So there, there is that agility. It appears like agility. And why is that? It's because if you're like a top dog industry, like emerging life sciences or whatever, where do you want to go? Well, you want to go where you can get the best brains in the world who want to come and work with you in a world city that's got all those cultural things that you and your family can enjoy. So there's, there's a real, I think, imperative uh, to, to make sure that both the culture uh, of, of London goes hand in hand with you know, the business opportunity of London because they will lift each other up. And I think that's extremely important. And are you genuinely concerned that we might upset that balance? We might um, take that resilience away, that culture away? That, that I, think, I think there's some headwinds. Um, Sorry, I'm probably stealing your slot yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But I think I, I think there's some headwinds, and you know, uh, Brexit uh, as quarter headwind, uh, and you know, not so much from my point of view in terms of trade barriers, but it's, it, it's about uh, attracting inward talent. You know, almost a third of my office were from Europe, and they were visa-free. Uh, graduates and young architects who wanted to come to London to have a fabulous time and work on great projects. Now, you know, processing those visas is tortuous, it's long, it's expensive, etc. So I think that's one big headwind for us. Uh, and of course, the other is post-COVID. Uh, you know, the working from home culture uh, has, you know, meant uh, there's quite an interesting change in the balance of power between uh, uh, businesses and their staff and staff are saying no we want to work at home on a Thursday and a Monday and we go well hold on half the office is going to be empty what are we doing with all this real estate you've got HSBC moving out of the tower and looking for half the space they had before I've got clients who are subletting up to 40% of the space that they own well you know this is a bit of a headwind too but maybe it's an opportunity as well you know to release space maybe for more residential, to try and make London more of a 20-minute city, and that it, it isn't. I have New York friends who come to London and say it's actually quite difficult to live in London because New York, you do have those neighbourhoods with the mom-and-pop restaurant and the dentist and the doctor, etc., where a lot of London isn't like that. So maybe we have some opportunities there. Elizabeth? Yeah, I was going to say, um, to your point about how London's reinvented itself and your stuff about biotech and stuff... I mean, I didn't realise that UCL, King's and Imperial College produce more... Um, God, now I can't remember exactly what they are, what were they? Um, uh, more research papers than all of Boston, uh, you know. And, and think of the other industries that we've, we've tempted in. All the film industry, again, on the back of theatre and the yeah. spin-offs and special effects and gaming. And that brings in £10 billion into the economy and employs sort of 50 thousand people you know so I think London is really good at inventing itself and to your point about you know we have to figure out what's going to happen about the sort of three-day working week in the office 
sometimes that's advantages for some areas. I mean, for my borough, because we're on the on the border, we found that our footfall is up. Our footfall is up in Chelsea and in, in Knightsbridge, actually, so, uh, if you compare it before to before COVID. And not only is it up, but people are spending more. So I, I, I guess some areas are, uh, are profiting and some aren't. And outer London's doing quite well as well because people aren't commuting in and you're getting these sort of clusters in areas of outer London. I too. think outer London has uh, has received the bounce. Yeah, they've uh, got a bounce. And, and, and there's some real opportunities in outer London for co-working spaces, for instance, which because not everybody wants to work at home. No. I mean, it drives me crazy. No, I just keep crazy. thinking of the fridge, you know. <laughs> uh, 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 Snuffling uh, in the fridge is not a good thing. But I think... You know, some restaurants and shops yeah. in the centre of town that would have healthy lunchtime trades, yes, they're struggling so. with this. Uh, and I have to say, I'm sort of saying out of the side of my mouth to my clients, have you ever thought of managing your staff? Uh, because... <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? What, forcing them in? Well, yes, saying, look, this is how we would like Not our forcing. business. Sorry. Encouraging. Encouraging. This is how we'd like our business to operate. You know, we need to have a business community. You, 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 you can't, you know, uh, you know, create the right culture whenever you're sitting at home in front of a, you know, a laptop screen. You need people to come in, build their networks, create their networks, share with their colleagues, etc. I think there's a glide slope down. I was just talking to somebody outside. They're saying how... Uh, how less efficient they are now because so many of the staff are working from home and do not want to come to the office. So I, I, I think there might be a backlash. But, and that's where London should win, right? Because it does have restaurants, it does have green space, it does have theatre, it does have any, anything and everything you could want all at once. Uh, um, uh, and that should be where we can turn turn that volume up a little bit and, and bring people back, yeah. isn't it? That's where the resilience should should come. Well, they need to want to come back as well. So, so that's where they come to people like me to design great offices for them. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a plug on these uh, panels. Yeah, I, I think people do want to come back. And if you think, you know, London has over 200 museums, it's got a thousand art galleries. Um, as Jack said, that's that's been the sort of warp and the weft of the city, hasn't it? If you're young, you want to come in, you want to go nightclubbing. You know, you've got all the traditional museums and stuff. But then you've got great nightlife, fabulous restaurants, uh, beautiful parks. I think we are a city unlike all others, actually, mm. for, the, for the ability to live. It's the way of living. Yeah. We are talking here about, you know, London not being forgotten London making sh making sure that London does recover, continues to grow, continues to be this great place that attracts attracts people. Maybe it doesn't keep them forever, but it attracts people here to do do great things. My final question to both of you is: What's the what's the one big ask? If you could ha ask for anything in the world from anyone to ensure that there is opportunity in in London, what would you ask for? Okay, for me, it would be um, investment in infrastructure, which unlocks homes, because we need more homes in London. Um, if, if you want people to come and live in London and work hard and everything, they've got to have a decent home over their heads, and it's really hard for people. At the moment, I would say that 25% of um, Londoners uh, are in, basically, after they've paid their rent, are in relative poverty now. And that's what everyone forgets. It, we need more housing. More 
affordable housing. More affordable housing, mm. absolutely. Fantastic, thank you. Jack. Well, I'll go with that. And, and you've already explained that you're, you're, you're already doing what I was going to say you should do, which is create these opportunities. You've got the 100-odd sites, and I'm going to come and see you soon, by the way. Let me see it, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so I, I will go with the, the last one, is speed up the planning process. You know, planning permissions are a drag on development. They create enormous risks for inward investment. If it's going to take two or three years to know whether you can really pay off with your investment, you know, you, 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 you've got to be pretty determined to do it. And so, you know, the planning process is not linear and, it, and, and it's extremely long-winded. Uh, and I think it, it is one of our great hurdles to development. So you've both picked the, very, the really easy asks there, infrastructure and, and, and planning. But they're so, so important, aren't, aren't they? And, and, and we, need to, we need to keep banging the drum that that is, that is what unlocks uh, the homes. It's what unlocks the places for people to, to thrive and grow. Um, thank you so much for joining us um, and for being our, our last session of the day. It's been, it's been wonderful. It's been the best. Uh, um, thank you. You say that to all the boys and girls. I, I say it to most, but not all. Um, uh, and just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Elizabeth and Jack for, for sharing such uh, great insights. And a huge thank you to everyone who's um, joined us here in the EG Pavilion. We've, um, we've loved hosting. We've loved all the um, deep and thoughtful conversations that we've had. But um, like all things, it's, it can't just be about the conversation. It has to be action now. So we all have to underline all of those asks and wants and, and get, them, get them done. But um, for me, thank you so much. Um, to Elizabeth and Jack and to you. Round of applause for everyone.